I'm going to take a break from Hebrews, and that's what I want to do with the message today is have some, what I'll call some Lord's Supper reflections. The title I do have is Jesus, Our Passover Lamb. So I thought about what to preach on with Lord's Supper. I thought about just doing Hebrews, but then I really felt moved to say, no, let's, let's actually just kind of focus in on what we're doing when we honor the Lord's Supper. And there's a specific part of that that I want to talk about to you this morning. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper on the day of the Passover. There was the feast of the Passover that Jesus himself, being a Jew, he was keeping that Jewish Passover feast, and it was on that evening, that event, he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, what we're going to honor here today. If you do want to turn, it'll be on the screen my main passage I'll start with is in Luke chapter 22. In Luke 22, starting in verse 7, and we'll just read some highlights of setting the scene of when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. I would ask if you join me in standing, and I want to read a passage in Luke 22, starting in verse 7, verse 13. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. And tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he told them, and they prepared the Passover. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, thank you for the Lord's Supper being handed down to us to be a time of remembrance and honoring, specifically you coming, offering yourself as a lamb to be sacrificed in our place on that cross for our sins so that God's judgment, his wrath on sin, can pass over us and we can be forgiven in you. And I pray that you would help focus our thoughts and minds as we say some comments about that and we will take of the Lord's Supper, I ask that you would just focus our thoughts and minds to treat this as a somber moment of remembrance and with reverence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, Jesus, it says, on the day that the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, Luke 22, 7. So I want to draw your attention to that and we'll get going. This is the scene I want to set for you. On the day that the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed is the day when Jesus created, instituted what we're going to do here this morning that we call the Lord's Supper. Some call it communion. That was not random. That was on purpose. Jesus did not just accidentally do that. He did it on purpose. He waited for that day in that moment to create the Lord's Supper. That's what I want to focus on. Why did he do that, though? Well, he goes on in Luke 22, verse 14, to say this. When the hour came, he, that's Jesus, reclined at table and the apostles with him. So now they're partaking of the Passover feast. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And I want to draw your attention to some words there. He says to them, I have earnestly desired. Like he's been waiting for this moment to do something with them. And what he says he's been waiting on is to eat this Passover. Now, Jesus, his whole life, the Passover, I'll go into this in a moment, but 
It happens every year. I'm going to, in a little bit, tell you what the Passover was about. But just understand this for a second. Every year they do this feast. Jesus is a Jew. He was a Jewish man. He grew up keeping the Passover. As a young adult, he kept the Passover. He but points out this one specifically he'd been waiting for. Why? Because he wanted to share something special with his apostles. He says he wanted to do it before he suffered. So again, he knows the crucifixion is just hours away. This is the day he's going to die for sins. And before that happened, he said, I have been waiting for this moment to have this Passover feast with you and tell you something significant. So go on in 22 verse 16 now. He says, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now he said here, until it, now it is the Passover, until the Passover is fulfilled in God's kingdom. <clears throat> Passover for the Jews looked back to history. It looked backwards in the past to what God did for the Jews when they were slaves in Egypt. So the Passover was an honoring of a historical event for the Jewish mind. But what Jesus was saying here is, that's not it. The Passover that God started way back then with their ancestors was actually pointing them to a future reality yet to come. And Jesus says to them, it's me, it's Christ. He says, I am the fulfillment of the Passover. It's not just a historical event of what God did in Egypt. It was pointing you to a time period yet to come when Jesus says the Son of God would come and he would be the Passover. He would fulfill it. So that's what he's saying to them is, I'm not going to eat this with you until it is fulfilled in God's kingdom. So it had a future fulfillment yet to come. He was trying to get them to understand. They didn't get it yet. They would later. But again, to me, this is mind-blowing. He's saying to these Jews that kept this historical event year after year, like a holiday sort of, to remember an event way back then. He says, guys, it's actually more than that. And here I am, been waiting to explain this to you, that this Passover has a fulfillment yet to come in God's kingdom. And it's all in Christ. Well, Jesus is going to fulfill it. But again, the question, how so? This is the point I want us to see this morning. Well, what does all this mean? Well, Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb. That's what I want you to walk away with this morning. He is the Passover lamb that God provided for people to receive so they can be passed over by God's judgment. Well, let's back up. What is the Passover? What are we even talking about here? Over decades, centuries ago, maybe even a 1,000, 1,500, I didn't look it all up, but a long time ago before this happened in Luke 22, you, you go back to the book of Exodus, and that's what that whole book is about. The book of Exodus is about the Jews, the Israelites, being enslaved in the nation of Egypt. And they were there for over 400 years as slaves. While they were there, they grew, they flourished, but they were oppressed. Well, then there came a point when God called Moses to be sort of a spokesperson, like a prophet. He said, go to Pharaoh, the, the bad, wicked king Pharaoh, who thinks he is also God on earth. Go say to him, let my people go, or else God will bring judgment. Over and over, God did these uh, plagues or signs to show the Egyptians and Pharaoh how he alone is the one true God and their false gods that they worshipped were false. They weren't anything at all. And every time God would say, 
let Israel go. And every time Pharaoh would say, no, I don't think so. And here comes another plague and another sign. Well, you fast forward to the last one. God said to Moses, okay, I'm going to do one final plague. We're going to call it the Passover event. And he says, after I do that, then Pharaoh will let my people go. Let me read this to you. It's found in Exodus chapter 11. In verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he says he's not just going to let you go. He's going to push you out of here. He's not going to want anything to do with the Jews anymore. Skip down to verse 4 of Exodus 11. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt. Now the I is God talking. So Moses reiterates to the Jews and then to Pharaoh, he warns them, says, this is what's about to happen if you don't let the Israelites go. About midnight, God's going to go out in the middle of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle will die. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor will there ever be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know the Lord makes a distinction between Israel and Egypt. So God warned them, this is what's coming. This is the final event, and it's terrible. The firstborn of people and animals will be struck dead. But let me explain to you, God made a way of escape. Here's what he said to do in Exodus 12. He gave some instructions. He said, you can avoid that. You can avoid all of that. If you just listen to me, and here was his instructions. He said, take a lamb, a male, one year old. And then he said this phrase, unblemished. In Exodus 12, 5, it says, your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now, unblemished means no defect, nothing wrong with it. Not blind in one eye, not bruised, not a birth defect, not a broken bone. It had to be perfect. Their most prized choice of the lamb, so to speak. God said, take this lamb, one per family in a household. You're going to kill this lamb, sacrifice it. Then you're going to roast it whole and eat it as a family. But then, that's not where it stops. In Exodus 12, 7, it says, They shall take some of the blood, again, of this sacrificed lamb, put it on the two doorposts in the lintel of the houses in which they eat. Now, why are they doing that? Because God says, skipping again ahead in verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. But notice this in Exodus twelve thirteen: The blood, the blood of that lamb, that, that innocent, perfect, spotless, one-year-old lamb, it didn't do anything wrong. It's a sacrifice, though. What about it? Well, the blood of that lamb, God says, when I see it on the houses... When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. That's where the event gets its name, the Passover. God said, when I pass through the land of Egypt, I will look at house to house, door to door. When I see blood on that doorpost, I'll pass over it. I'll pass on by. I won't enter that house and carry out the plague of judgment. I'll pass on. I'll pass over. So, that lamb was very, very important. It had to be perfect. It had to be a specific lamb. And they couldn't just keep the lamb. And this is the sad part, right? But they couldn't just keep the lamb like a pet. They had to sacrifice it. They had to kill it. 
Why? That lamb was stepping in as a substitute for the firstborn of that family. God said, I own the rights over the firstborn. All life belongs to me and I'm exercising judgment here. But there can be a substitute sacrifice to take the place of the firstborn so that they're not killed. The lamb will be killed and sacrificed in the place there. Well, after that event happened, the Egyptians lost their firstborn of animals and people. The ones that didn't listen, most of them didn't listen. Some did. The Jews listened. Their firstborn were spared because they kept the Passover instructions. Well, God then asked or commanded that the Jews from that point on, for all their future generations, they were to one day a year keep the feast of the Passover. They were to bring a lamb into their home on the 10th day of the first month of their calendar year. One year old, perfect, no blemish, a male. Keep it until the 14th day and then sacrifice it at evening. And do the same stuff that they had to do in Egypt. Roast it whole, eat it as a family. And God said in Exodus twelve fourteen, This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. So God did not want them to forget. For all their future generations to come, He never wanted Israel to forget what it took for Him to get them out of slavery in Egypt. It took that kind of a harsh, significant event. But God provided a way of escape for them. The Passover lamb provided the way out, so to speak. And he wanted them to remember it by keeping the feast of the Passover. So that sets the scene for on the day when Jesus did the Lord's Supper, he, being an obedient Jew himself, I mean, Jesus was God, but he was the God-man. He was a man, too. Well, he was a Jewish man. Per the law, he himself had to keep the Passover feast. And he was. But I just want to point out to you, he chose that moment to do something else with it, to bring about the Lord's Supper. That Passover lamb's blood that spared that house from incurring God's judgment, Jesus himself is called the Passover lamb of God, who also prevents a person from facing God's judgment for their sins. So with that in mind, that's what I want to look at for the rest of our time here. I want, I want to explore how is Jesus a Passover lamb? He's a person, he's not an animal. Well, we're talking figuratively. He does what that Passover animal lamb did for them back then. He does for us today as the Passover lamb of God. People, we need to start with this idea. So Jesus, our Passover lamb, what does that mean? Well, we need to understand that people... Then, in the New Testament times and today, people are enslaved to sin just like Israel were physically slaves in Egypt. Spiritually, people are enslaved to sin. If we're honest, I think we should admit that. The world is wicked. People can be wicked. The world is broken. People are broken. There's brokenness everywhere. And the question is, why is it this way? Well, it wasn't supposed to be this way, but it became broken. How? Through sin. Sin entered and it led to death, disease, illness, suffering, broken relationships, broken marriages, broken everything because of sin. You take any problem that you've personally faced or you've heard about, I mean any problem, and it all, if you trace it back to root cause, it all goes back to sin. Either you sinned or they sinned or you both sinned or you faced a consequence of sin. It's all sin. All because of that. 
And the Bible uses slave-type terminology to speak about us before Christ. It says things that we were slaves to sin, held captive to sin. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, Paul says, you were, past tense, he's talking to Christians before they were forgiven in Christ. He says you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, but notice how he describes what happens to someone before Christ. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So Paul sort of lists out, what does a non-Christian do? Well, here's what they do, and they don't even realize it. They're doing what they do out of nature, but their nature is sinful. And then they follow what the world does, and what does the world do? It's sinful. Why is it that way? He says this phrase, the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan. Because until God brings his final judgment even on Satan, Satan is kind of running amok out there in society and cultures and, and in governments and institutions. And he's bringing all this disorder and this chaos. And people don't even know it probably. And they're just following along in their lives, wondering why things are messed up and why is it the way it is? Why are they the way they are? Because of this. Because sin leads to death, not just physical death, spiritual death. And people live brokenness out. He goes on, though, and says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That's the idea. Sin just causes you to carry out what you want through the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So I use that as an example passage to stress that every person, regardless of background, color, ethnicity, doesn't matter, has the same problem from birth, a sin problem. The Bible says we're held captive to it like slaves were spiritually dead well that enters jesus jesus's mission was to come and share the good news that he is the lamb of god who can take away people's sin and brokenness and deadness john 1 29 john the baptist saw jesus walking toward him it says and he called out and said behold the lamb of god now it's interesting because jesus is a man he's a person he's not an animal but John could see Jesus walking and say, there's the Lamb of God. And he adds this phrase, who takes away the sin of the world. And again, I want to draw this parallel in your mind. The Passover lamb in the Exodus that we read, the New Testament picks that up and says, that's Jesus. Jesus is that Lamb of God provided to take away sin. John goes on, it says in verse 35, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples he looked at Jesus walking by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5.7 says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Don't worry about that phrase. I just want to share with you the next one. He says, For Christ, Jesus. And then he says, He calls Jesus our Passover Lamb. He has been sacrificed. So again, I'm not stretching this. This is what the New Testament says, and I just want us to explore this. What does this mean? Jesus is the Passover lamb that God has provided for people, just like in the book of Exodus, he provided a Passover literal lamb for them to be spared God's judgment. What kind of a lamb is Jesus then? If he's the Passover lamb, what, what kind is he? The first point I want you to see is Jesus is the spotless lamb. In Exodus 12:5, that I read to you, it said, God said, bring in a lamb, a male lamb, one year old. And then he added that condition, unblemished, without spot, without bruise, no brokenness. It had to be perfect, spotless. 
Well, Jesus is no different. The Bible says in the New Testament, Jesus was without spot and blemish. What does that mean? Sin. Jesus is the only person who was sinless, who was without sin. He was spotless morally, spotless spiritually. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, it reads, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold. But look at verse 19, Peter says, How were we redeemed out of slavery to sin? He says, With precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. So Peter picks that up and says, Yes, of course, Jesus is a spotless, unblemished lamb. What does that mean in practical speak? He was perfect. He never sinned. What that also means, though, is not just any person can raise their hand and say, I'll die for humanity. I'll pay for their sins. Not just any person can do that. Only one could do that. And that one who could do that had to be spotless. They had to be perfect, unblemished. Jesus was perfect without any sin. The only one who could be God's Passover lamb to save us from our sins. Salvation, that means this again more practically, salvation from sin to be right with God, that cannot be found, no solution to that can be found in anyone else except Jesus Christ. It cannot be found in any other system except what Jesus brought. Unfortunately, in our society, there's this trend of, you know, all religions are kind of equal or all views are equal. You have your truth, I have my truth, just just kind of do your thing, I'll do my thing. Scripture says the exact opposite. It says there is only one truth, there is only one way. All other ways are false, they're, they're phony, they're, they're sort of copies of the truth and then they don't have the truth. They claim Jesus to one degree, but they don't really have Jesus. But here, Scripture says that because Jesus is the spotless lamb, he's the only one, I'll use this word, he's the only one eligible to even be the Savior because he's the only perfect one that there ever was. Because remember, a, a sinner cannot die for a sinner and pay for the other sinner's sins. I can't offer my life for you to, before God and say, I'll pay for your sins, God would say back to me, but you're a sinner just like they are. That doesn't do anything. You need someone to pay for your sins just like they do. So Jesus, I'm stressing this, he was the only one even eligible to come on the scene and say, I'll pay for their sins. God says, well, yeah, you're perfect. You're innocent. You're spotless. Just like that lamb in Exodus had to be innocent and spotless, not just any lamb would do. The second thing Jesus says, he's the slain lamb. The lamb in Exodus 12 had to be killed. It had to be sacrificed. They couldn't just bring the lamb in and get to know the lamb and treat it as a pet for years to come. That'd be nice, right? But that's not how it works. Someone had to die is the point. Someone had to die. Because, again, the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. That's a simplistic way of saying God's not being mean about it, Again, I've said this before through my time here, but I like the analogy. I picture a judge on their bench, and they've got a, a convicted criminal. And let's say that that criminal even pleaded guilty. He came before the judge, and the judge was like, did you do the charges? He's like, oh, yeah, I did him. So, he, so he's not denying it. He pled guilty. What if the judge is like, I'm just feeling generous today. Why don't you just walk out the door? You know, it's no big deal. We'll just kind of 
throw away the case here. If we were honest, we would say, okay, now, now I have a problem with the judge because the judge is supposed to carry out judgment, justice. That's their job. And the criminal admitted to it, and the judge is like, no big deal, just, just go away. Well, we would say, no, 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 if, if he's guilty of a crime, then the law says what needs to happen. The judge is to uphold the law. God is no different. God isn't being mean when he says, I'm, I will judge your sins. God is just simply doing what he's supposed to do. God says the wages of sin is death. That's the punishment. That's the penalty. And God is the cosmic judge that says, okay, I have to render judgment and justice must be carried out. Hebrews 9.26, though, says, as it is, he, that's Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So I'm saying Jesus is a slain lamb or a sacrificed lamb, just like the lamb in Exodus had to be sacrificed in order for its blood to be applied for God's judgment to pass over. The same parallels in the New Testament. The lamb couldn't just come in the house and then they show God the lamb at the doorway. No, they had to sacrifice it and its blood had to be applied. And the same principles in the New Testament I'm trying to show you is God says the only penalty the only acceptable judgment on sin is death. But the good news, like I read in Hebrews, Jesus came and it says he put away sin. How? By the sacrifice of himself. He offered himself up to be killed. He offered himself up to die to pay for the wages, so to speak, in Romans 6.23. Revelation 5.6 says, Between the throne of the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Slain, some translations use the word slaughtered. I thought that was pretty intense, but that's a valid translation. Jesus wasn't just killed, he, he was slaughtered like an animal to the slaughterhouse. Why? To pay for sin. He had to be. Revelation 5.12 says, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. You know, it doesn't say worthy is the lamb who came to earth for a few years and went back to heaven. No, worthy is the lamb who was slain, sacrificed. The spotless lamb, the sinless, perfect son of God, had to be sacrificed for our sins, or else no salvation would have happened. Just like the lamb in Exodus had to be sacrificed and the blood applied. The final point about what kind of lamb is Jesus, he's the saving lamb. The lamb's blood in Exodus 12 that I read to you had to be applied to the doorpost. When the blood of the lamb was applied to the doorpost, it led to salvation in that house. It led to God's judgment passing on by. Jesus' sacrifice for sins, and I really want to stress this with this point, Jesus' sacrifice for sins is not, is not automatically applied to a person. His blood must be applied personally by the sinner. Jesus' sacrifice for sins is not automatically applied to a person. His blood must be applied personally by the sinner. Just like the lamb back then, they couldn't just sacrifice the lamb. They still had to do something with it. They had to take its blood and physically apply it to the doorpost of the house. Well, Jesus' sacrifice, his shed blood, makes him a saving lamb of God. But that blood must be personally applied to you personally and to me personally. It's not just that he died and it's a default thing that happens where it's applied to every single human being. Now hear me clearly. His salvation is offered to everyone without exception. It's offered, but offered doesn't mean 
received. Offered is offered. Received is another thing. That's the next step. It has to be applied to the sinner personally. Ephesians 1, 7-8 says, In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Jesus came to be a saving lamb. He came to offer forgiveness of sins. He came to bring God's grace to people. Romans 6.23, I I cheated and only read you the bad part. The rest of the verse reads like this. It says, the wages of sin is death, but here's the good news. There's a but. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus came to offer that eternal life by being a saving lamb. How does a person personally apply Jesus' blood to their lives? Again, this isn't literal. We're not saying somehow go find Jesus' blood out there and put it on you. That's not at all what we're saying. This is spiritual. So how does a person apply Jesus' blood to, let's call it the doorpost of your soul? Just like in Exodus, they had to apply it to the doorpost of the house. How does someone do that? The Bible says by faith. I've been reading to you in Ephesians. Well, he goes on in Ephesians and Paul says, he says, by grace you're saved through faith. So how does someone apply that blood? They receive it. How do they receive it? By faith. God gives it to you freely. That's grace and mercy. You and I don't deserve it. You don't earn it. You don't work. See, when you work, you get a paycheck. But you don't work for God, and then he pays you with salvation. That's not how it works. He gives you a gift. A gift is you just were given it. You just received it. You know, you didn't do anything for the gift. You just got it. That's what he says here. He gives you a gift of salvation and forgiveness The brokenness can be fixed and healed and you can be restored in a right relationship with God, but how? Through Jesus Christ. Again, how does someone receive that gift though? Through faith. They believe it with all their heart. The Bible says if you confess to God, you admit, you agree with God that you are a sinner who needs to be punished for those sins and you know that you're doomed to face God's judgments in your sin, but you call out to God and say, but I believe in Jesus that he died for me on that cross. He took my place and he rose again, then I too can have new life as well. It sounds easy. It's faith, but it's sincere, real belief with all your heart and your mind that he died and he rose again to offer you salvation from your sins. Jesus fulfilled the Passover. He is the Passover lamb God has provided for sinners like you and I. Jesus is the spotless lamb. Well, that meant that only Jesus is the sinless one who can be the Savior. No one else can be the Savior. No one else in human history can stand up and say, I'll die for humanity. No, they need someone to pay for their sins too. But because Jesus was spotless, that means sinless, he could. He was eligible, so to speak, to pay for people's sins. Just like the spotless lamb in Exodus, he was the slain lamb. Only Jesus' death pays for sin's penalty. It sounds harsh, but he had to be sacrificed. He had to be killed, just like the lamb in Exodus. He had to be sacrificed to pay sin's death penalty, so to speak. Jesus is the saving lamb. Only Jesus' blood applied to the sinner can bring forgiveness and cause God to pass over that person on judgment day. Jesus took the Passover, and what he did, he honored that feast, and he gave it new meaning. He said to his apostles, I'm the fulfillment of everything this Passover was really talking about. Yes, it spared them, physically speaking, in Egypt, 
but it had a greater spiritual reality that God was trying to teach humanity from that point on. And it was that all people face the judgment of God, but they can be passed over if they have a substitute sacrifice lamb on their behalf. And Jesus was saying, that's me. I've come to do that. So he took that moment to do what we will honor as the Lord's Supper. Again, some call it communion, meaning there's this sort of we're communing with God, so to speak, in the presence of Christ at this table, honoring him for what he's done. Jesus said we're to honor him now. We don't, as Christians, we don't do the Feast of the Passover. Well, why do we not do that? Well, Jesus said not to. Why did he say not to? Because he says, I am the Passover. I'm your Passover. And now, before he died, he would basically be saying to them, I'm about to go die on the cross and offer myself up as a sacrificial lamb. And he says, so what you're going to do now is you're going to honor me and my sacrifice for you. Not what God did for them way back then, what I'm doing for you now by dying on the cross for your sins. Jesus' crucifixion is our Passover event. We remember and worship him through the Lord's Supper. And I just want to ask, do you know Jesus as your Passover lamb? Can you say that when you stand before God on Judgment Day and every single soul will, we are told, the question is, will God's judgment pass over you? Or will you incur it? It's pretty simple, but it's a harsh reality to think about. The simple part is, just like they had to do, and just like Jesus said, you can have God's judgment pass on by. How? By having his blood applied to your life, your soul. Are you forgiven through Jesus because you've repented of your sins and said to God, I know I'm a sinner and I believe with all my faith, all my heart that Jesus died for me and I need that or else I'll pay for my sins. If so, rejoice. There's something to be glad about this morning. Life can get hard still as a Christian. Absolutely, it's still hard for a Christian. It's not easy. It's not perfect. But the difference is now we have a reason to press on, knowing that no matter what happens to me here, I have my salvation. You know, the saying goes, uh, people would say when you go to college, hey, get that degree because they can't ever take it away from you. Well, I think about in a greater sense, no one can take away your salvation in Christ, no matter what's happening down here. You have it always. 